You know, one of the things that I found out is that in sales, one of the main attributes to being able to sell and be successful is your attitude. Would you agree with that? Where are you coming from? You know, if you've ever been in the fight game, you know that the fight game is 20% physical, it's 80% mental. Same thing goes with a sale. Your attitude has to be right. You have to be living in concert with yourself. In other words, you can't be walking in contradiction. When you walk in contradiction, people have an ability to know a shyster when they see one, don't they? And if you're living in concert, if you're walking the walk for the talk that you're talking, I think people pick that up. So they asked me this evening, and they did the same thing in Anaheim. They needed a keynote speaker, and we've had keynote speakers such as Mark Victor Hansen. We've had gentlemen from Success Magazine. And uh, this evening, and in Anaheim, they asked me to be your keynote speaker. So again, fellas, thank you for giving me that opportunity. But what they asked me was, they said, Mac, what is it that has been weighing on your heart or has been a large key to your success inside the fold of the company? Being able to continually go, 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 go. Many of you that know me, I get about two, three hours of sleep a night. I travel about 20 days out of the month, and I've been doing this for about three and a half years. And it's not because I'm a robot. It's solely because of the fact that I believe in the mission, the vision, the goal, the crusade. Make no mistake, this is not just a business opportunity. This is a crusade. This is a revolution. And to me, it's a ministry. And I want to thank everybody for helping us buy into that, helping America buy their homes back, putting money back in the pockets of the American homeowner. Would you say right now that we are in a little bit of financial trouble? Just a little. We have a solution. We have a cure. We're not just standing up here spouting rhetoric of what you may or may not want to do. We have a physical tool that offers a solution. And I don't think it's a matter of whether you should or should not talk about it. I think it is a responsibility. I think it is incumbent upon you to talk to every single person you know to spread the message of hope, that's what America is looking for is hope. America is looking for alternatives. America is looking for solutions. So in that, they asked me what's been weighing on my heart, and I'm going to take a departure from what I would like to call meat, and I'm going to address attitude. I'm going to address your mental attitude, the fortitude that will allow you to move forward. Now, I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm not going to stand up here and try to pound my chest and get on a soapbox and try to tell you that if you don't buy into what I'm saying that you're wrong. Everybody has their own motivations. But they asked me what has been one of the keys or one of the largest keys to my success, and that's where I came up with what you see on the screen right now, which is body, mind, and spirit. And body, mind, and spirit, what I mean by that is I believe that every individual is comprised of those three things. You have your body physical body, you have your mind, your ability to think through situations, and your spirit. We are all spiritual beings of one aspect or another. And in addressing this, what I wanted to get across was the point that there is no separation. That all three of these attributes, all three of these aspects in your life must live in concert with each other. You cannot walk in contradiction. So here's what I wanted to start off with is a quote from a gentleman by the name of Smiley Blanton. He is an author, he's a playwright, a very well-known gentleman, you can Google him. And he says, life is all one piece. Men err when they think they can be inhumane exploiters in their business life and loving husbands and fathers at home. 
for achievement without love is a cold and tight-lipped murderer of human happiness everywhere. That's a pretty rough quote to be starting off something to talk about attitude, isn't it? But let me tell you what, it's a quote that needs to be up there. Because so many people live their lives saying that there is a separation between who I am at home and who I am in business. Who I am at home, who I am when I go to church. Who I am at home and who I am in any other aspect. I learned something very early on. That integrity is something you can't buy and integrity is something you better not ever sell. All too often we hear some of these phrases, and I just want to bring up a couple things because I want to get you in a mindset, and I think every one of you will relate to having heard one of these phrases at one time or another in your life. I separate my business life from my personal and spiritual life. You all have heard that, haven't you? How about this? There is no place for God in business. How about this? Loosen up. A little gray area doesn't matter that much. Let me let you understand something. There is no gray area in my life, none, zero. I am black and white. I'm either on the right, I'm on the left, but I get off the fence and I make a decision. The gentlemen that I work with are the same way. These are men of integrity. These are men in vision. My father used to always say something to me. He'd say, son, you know, a bad decision is better than no decision at all. Just make up your mind and do something and stand by that decision. Would you say that we live in a world of contradictions? Let's illuminate a couple contradictions that I believe are some of the more prevalent contradictions that we live with in the world. We'll pay a professional athlete $20 million for what, a two-year, three-year, four-year contract? And how about this? We'll pay a child's teacher $45,000 a year. Does there seem to be a problem there? In my world, there's a problem with that. How about this? We worry about political correctness, but we throw common sense out the window. I'd like to clue you on something. America was not founded on political correctness. America was founded on the ability for freedom of speech. America was founded on the ability of using just a little bit of common sense. If you've forgotten that, go back and read Benjamin Franklin. Go back and read Thomas Jefferson. How about this? Read Thomas Paine, who put together the pamphlet called Common Sense that sparked a large portion of the revolution. We worry about the finish line but not where we started. All too often, we forget where we came from, don't we? All too often, I have met people that have hit success, and they can't even remember where they came from. The one thing that I've always tried to keep an identity with that I think has helped me is that grassroots. Where did that seed sprout from? Where did I start from? I come from southern Maryland. I come from just outside of Washington, D.C. I come from a military family. We didn't have great means, but you know what we did have? I had a father that stood for integrity and honor and courage and valor. My father used to tell me something. Honor is the gift that a man gives himself. And that's something that's always stuck with me. We concentrate on what's in it for me, self, right? Isn't that the world that we deal with? Me, me, mine, mine, bigger, better, faster, stronger, shinier, newer. What's the new version? What's the newest upgrade? What's the next piece of advantage that I can take? But you know what we seem to forget? The people that need us. The people that we can impact. The lives that we can change. A life of focus, a life of intent, and a life of purpose. That's the life that I want to lead. You know, because at the end of the day, when I die, they're not going to put a U-Haul behind my hearse. 
And when I'm laying there on the deathbed, I don't want to see my diplomas and my piles of gold. Who do I want around me? I want the people I love. I want the lives that I've touched. I want to be remembered that my life stood for something greater than myself, greater than my own self-gain, greater than the accumulation of possessions and wealth and land and property. I found this out at a very early age. If I can change one person's life, the ripple effect to that is greater than anything I could ever possibly hope for. Self-consumed. We live in a world where we're self-consumed. Would you agree? The world we live in has taught us to be self-reliant. You don't need anybody. You can do this on your own. The world we live in has taught us that it's all about me. The world that we live in has taught us that money is the measure of our success. And the world that we live in has taught us that good guys finish last. What I'd like to do is redefine this. I'd like to give you some of my insight as to how I view this. The world we live in has taught us to be self-reliant from the heart of a servant. And I think that's where we have to do things from is a heart of love and empathy and service and sacrifice. The world says to be self-reliant. I say we can't do it alone. The world we live in says it's all about me. I say get over yourself because you're just not that important. The world we live in says that money is the measure of our success. And I say that self-contentment and joy equals success, the moments that you experience that in your life. The world tells us that good guys finish last. I'm here to tell you that good guys finish with integrity, and I work with five of them. So here's what I'd like to do. I always get these thoughts in the oddest places. And I was sitting here, and I was thinking about the world self. I love anacronyms. I mean, if you really think long and hard, you can think about hundreds of anacronyms, can't you? And some of them make no sense at all. They just make you laugh. Like FYI. Think of all the other things you can come up with FYI. So I started thinking about the world, the word self. And I started thinking, you know what? We live in this self-consumed world. There has to be another way to define self. There has to be another way to look at oneself. And here's what I came up with. The S is sacrifice. The E is empathy. The L is love. And the F is fellowship. Now I want you to think about this for a second. If every person on this planet redefines self under those four basic characteristics, would we live in a different world today? Would we be better husbands and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins and neighbors and community leaders? Would we be more apt to give of ourselves to help the community around us? Would we be less self-consumed? What do you think? So let's delve into this. Let's take sacrifice. Spend your life giving others what they need, and you will get back more than you could ever hope for. That's a quote from Schuyler Whitman. That's something that he said to me in a conversation. You know something else he said to me in a conversation? I was asking him one day. I said, Schuyler... You know, I've been around business for a long time, and I know most people when they build a big business, you know, they build it up, they build it up, and they always have a number. Do you know what I'm saying? They have a number that they're thinking, you know, when I get offered this amount of money, then I'll sell the business. I've made it. I'll sell it off. I'll make my millions, and I'll move on. And I asked Skyler the simple question. Nobody else was around us, so he had nothing to gain. 
I said, Skyler, do you have a number in mind as to when you will sell this company off? And you know what his reply to me was? It's not mine to sell. That is a man of integrity. That is a man of vision. The important thing is this, to be able to at any moment sacrifice what we are for what we would become. Charles Dubois, to sacrifice what we are for what we may become. See, many times when we are put in a position of sacrifice, we feel that we stand to lose it all. I'm here to tell you, in my belief system, when we sacrifice, we stand to gain it all. When we give of ourselves, when we lay ourselves at the feet of adversity, when we put ourselves in a position to help our fellow man and forget who we are for a split second, those are the moments that the American people and people in general achieve greatness. Greatness is achieved through forgetting oneself and sacrificing oneself for a greater cause, sacrificing oneself for the need of the many. Sometimes when you sacrifice something precious, you're not really losing it. You're just passing it on to someone else. And I started thinking about that. What does that mean? How many of you have children? Do you believe that we live in a world of abundance? Do you believe that the world that we live in, you can have as much money as you want, as much food as you want, as much land as you want, as much prosperity as you want? This world is a world of complete abundance, but there is one thing in this world that we are limited with. And do you know what that is? Time. Time is the only thing that we have a limitation on. And what you do with that time is going to matter in the end result. One of the most infuriating statements I ever hear come out of somebody's mouth is I'm not hurting anybody. What I'm doing is not affecting anyone. This is my life. Let me leave. Don't you understand that God has given you a gift and that gift is for humanity. That gift is to live in fellowship. That gift is to be shared with the people around you, to edify them, to elevate them, to put them in a position of greatness. If you do not share the gifts that you were given, you diminish yourself, you diminish humanity, and you diminish the people around you. Children. Understand that time is precious, and they understand that sacrifice of time. I've taken my kids to Disneyland. You all have done that, taking them to Disneyland, taking them on vacations, spend hundreds of dollars trying to entertain them with Xboxes and video games and Wiis and widescreen TVs and bicycles. What is it that your child tends to remember the most? Is the moments that you put them up on your knee and you talk to them and you just spent a little bit of time between you and them. Because that's the time that matters. Because that time is fleeting. And those children know that. They pick that up and they absorb that. It never ceases to amaze me when I take my children out and I spend money on them. They don't remember what we did. They remember the car ride there. They remember the car ride back. The last time I came down here to Disney World with my kids, we spent four days down here. I don't even want to talk about how much money we unloaded in Disneyland parks. Do you know what my kids remembered? Eating at the Waffle House with their dad and then going to the beach. The only reason they remember the Waffle House is because they were walking a little funny after they ate it. The second one I want to talk about is empathy. 
empathy, that ability to be able to live in somebody else's shoes, that ability to be able to identify with somebody else, that ability to feel compassion for another individual. The human ability to be sensitive to or to experience vicariously the feelings, thoughts, or experiences of another individual. That's the best definition that I can come up with of empathy. But here's a good way to explain it in just simple terms. How can you possibly understand someone else's position until you've walked a mile in their shoes? All too often, it's we're so consumed with ourselves, we forget where somebody else is coming from. We forget what they may have experienced. When I was in Anaheim, I gave this little story. And I don't give this story because I want an applause or because I want people to feel good about me. I want to relate how many times we just seem to forget where other people may be and we just think about ourselves. I'm out to dinner with a friend of mine and his family. And it's a nice restaurant, and we're having dinner, and the waitress, I'm looking at the waitress. You could tell a waitress if she's a lifer or not, right? The one that's been doing waitressing her whole life, you could just you pick it up. You just know. And I knew without a doubt that this lady was a lifer at waitressing. It was the most horrible service I had ever received in my entire life. The, the order was wrong. Food was coming cold. She was slamming plates down in front of us. She actually spilled a drink reaching over. Scowl on her face. She just wasn't. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? You've been doing this for a long period of your life. And something inside of me at that moment, and it's not because I'm that pious or that good or that right. It was just something at that moment spoke to me and said, you know what? There's something going on there that you need to be aware of. And when the check came and the lady walked away, my friend said to me, he said, you ought to tip her a penny as an insult. You ought to tip her a penny because that was a service she gave. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. Something's telling me that something else is going on here. So we got a bill for about $120 for the two families eating dinner. And so I wrote her out a tip for $120. I tipped her the exact dollar amount of the bill. The lady... You know, she comes, we all get up, put on our jackets, start walking out. She comes running up to me with the bill in hand and goes, did you make a mistake? And I said, no, I didn't make a mistake. I said, and I turned and I looked at her and I looked her right in the eyes and I said, listen to me. I said, I know something's going on in your life. I can feel that. And I said, if you want to share that with me, I'm standing here to listen. But if you don't want to share that with me, just know that that came from the heart and that money's for you. The lady broke down, put her arms around me, began to cry, and said that morning her son had been diagnosed with leukemia. Now think about this. How would her day have gone had I given her a penny? What do you think she thought when she got a tip for 120 and somebody she didn't even know cared about her position enough to find out what was going on? We all too often forget That we are not meant to live individually. We are not meant to live by ourselves. We are not meant to live cold and unempathetic and self-consumed. We are meant to live a life of love and empathy and fellowship and honor and courage. The greatest things in life are things that you cannot buy. They are things that you gift yourself by the actions that you take. Integrity is what you do when nobody else is looking. Bertrand Russell V. DeLong, 
another brilliant philosopher. He was actually a psychiatrist. Uh, he, got a, he ended up getting a degree in neuromedicine and uh, he wrote several books. And this is what he had to say about the idea of empathy and how we live with people. The most valuable things in life are not measured in monetary terms. The really important things are not houses and lands and stocks and bonds and automobiles and real estate, but friendship, trust, confidence, empathy, mercy, love, and faith. These are the things that separate us, don't you understand, from the animal kingdom. This is what makes us different than an animal. The ability to love and be empathetic and care and pick up your brother and carry him on your shoulders. The ability to be sacrificial and empathetic. Love. Boy, isn't that a big, broad one, love. For centuries, people have tried to define love, haven't they? You know, and I look through quote after quote after quote. That's what I do. I love looking at quotes. Quotes to me are the, are the thing or the stuff that, that elevates you and it just it reminds you where you're coming from. And I searched and searched and searched for an adequate explanation of love. I looked at William Shakespeare. I looked at uh, 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 Samuel Clements. I looked everywhere to try to find an adequate explanation of love. Now, at this point, I just want to say this. I'm not standing up here trying to preach to you. And I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you that any one faith is better than another. I'm not trying to tell you that you even have to subscribe to a faith base. I don't care if you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist. doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you're black, white, green, yellow, short, fat, skinny, tall. doesn't matter. This company embraces who you are, and this opportunity is wide open for anyone that wants to pick up the mantle and wants to run with the crusade of buying America back. Anyone that wants to get involved and do something to help their fellow man, anyone who wants to be a part of something that is bigger than the sum of the individual parts, something that will go down in history, something that will live on as a legacy, we embrace you, we welcome you, and you're welcome here. So with that having been said, the best definition of love I could find comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, because love never fails. Love, to me, is the number one most important aspect of the world we live in and the number one greatest aspect of human character. If everything you do, you would do it from a heart of love, people would receive it with a heart of love. If everything that you did, think about what that passage is saying, to hold no record of wrongs, to be completely selfless, to be an individual that wants nothing more than to edify their fellow man and come alongside them and allow them to feel the hope and grace and strength of another person coming alongside them. The world that we would live in would be such a different place. The world that we live in would be a place that I think we could all be proud of. 
And that brings us to the final one, which is fellowship. If we live a life of sacrifice, if we live a life of empathy, if we live a life of love, do you think that we would live in greater fellowship with our fellow man? Fellowship to me is the glue that binds us together. Fellowship to me is the way that I can show you without saying a word that you matter, that your life matters, your existence matters, what you bring to the table, your existence, your particular spice, your quirks, your downfalls, your shortcomings, your greatness matters. It is an awesome thing to know that you matter. One of the greatest killers of the elderly in our world today is loneliness. How many of you have been lonely at one time? Be honest about it. That is a horrible feeling, is it not? You know, it's never the great broad strokes that changes a person's life. It's the little things that matter. It's coming along somebody and putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. You know what, I believe in you. You know what, you can do this. And all too often, you know what, it's the things that we never said trying to make an impact that have the greatest impact. And you know what else? Many times it's what you don't say that has the greatest impact. It's what you do. It's how you live your life. It's the walk that you take. It's the example that you show. That's a hard monicum. Now listen, please, don't think for a moment I'm trying to stand up here pious like I don't do anything wrong. I'm a man. I'm married. I have two children. I do just about everything wrong. That's why God gave me a wife. And she doesn't do anything wrong. John Doan on meditation, number 18, now 17, wrote this. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were. As well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me. Because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. When I was a kid, I actually had to read that. You know what I mean? We had to read Shakespeare and Beowulf, and we had to read the meditations, all the classic writings. And when I read that, I had no clue what that meant. And as I got older, it started to illuminate on me what that was really talking about. And you know what it was talking about? If you're happy, I can experience happiness. If you're sad, I can experience your sadness. If you're in love, I can experience your love. If you need help, I can help you. If I need help, I can reach out a hand. But you know what the last part of that is that I think is even more impactful than what the first part is saying? Don't wait around. If you want more love in the world, then be more loving. If you want more compassion in the world, be more compassionate. If you want more empathy in the world, reach out your hand and be empathetic. If you want more fellowship, come alongside your friend, your brother, and show them that you are willing to help with the life that you lead. But at the end of the day, don't wait for somebody else. Don't ever wonder for who that bell is tolling because that bell is tolling for you. 
That bell wants you to stand up. That bell wants you to move forward. That bell needs you to be the man, to be the father, to be the son that you were meant to be, that God intended you to be. Cicero was an orator in Rome in 137 A.D. Rome was the most conquering force on the planet at that time, conquered two-thirds of the known world. And Cicero, one of their statesmen and orators, said this, We are obliged to respect, defend, and maintain the common bonds of union and fellowship that exist among all members of the human race. He didn't put that in a manner that it might be a good idea. He said we are obliged, it is a responsibility of all of us to maintain that. I don't care how low a person gets. I don't care if it's that bum on the side of the road. I don't care if it's a guy hanging out in front of the Burger King. I don't care if it's the guy that you wouldn't normally talk to. Every man, every woman deserves your respect. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to respect you back. But it's your obligation as a part of mankind and as an individual that wants to live in sacrifice, empathy, love, and fellowship to respect everyone that you come in contact with. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, does it? Because I know many times in my own family, I love everyone in my family, but there's times that I don't like any one of them. But that's human nature. It doesn't say that we have to like each other. It says we have to love one another. It doesn't say that I have to take advantage of you. It says that I have to respect you. And that's something I hope we can all pass along to one another. A life of intent and focus, that is the life that I want to lead. And there's a couple quotes that I want to put in here for you. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres because love never fails. Love, to me, is the number one most important aspect of the world we live in and the number one greatest aspect of human character. If everything you do, you would do it from a heart of love, people would receive it with a heart of love. If everything that you did, think about what that passage is saying, to hold no record of wrongs, to be completely selfless, to be an individual that wants nothing more than to edify their fellow man and come alongside them and allow them to feel the hope and grace and strength of another person coming alongside them. The world that we would live in would be such a different place. The world that we live in would be a place that I think we could all be proud of. And that brings us to the final one, which is fellowship. If we live a life of sacrifice, if we live a life of empathy, if we live a life of love, do you think that we would live in greater fellowship with our fellow man? Fellowship to me is the glue that binds us together. Fellowship to me is the way that I can show you without saying a word that you matter, that your life 
matters. Your existence matters. What you bring to the table, your existence, your particular spice, your quirks, your downfalls, your shortcomings, your greatness matters. It is an awesome thing to know that you matter. One of the greatest killers of the elderly in our world today is loneliness. How many of you have been lonely at one time? Be honest about it. That is a horrible feeling, is it not? You know, it's never the great broad strokes that changes a person's life. It's the little things that matter. It's coming along somebody and putting your hand on their shoulder and saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. You know what, I believe in you. You know what, you can do this. And all too often, you know what, it's the things that we never said trying to make an impact that have the greatest impact. And you know what else? Many times it's what you don't say that has the greatest impact. It's what you do. It's how you live your life. It's the walk that you take. It's the example that you show. That's a hard moniker. Now listen, please, don't think for a moment I'm trying to stand up here pious like I don't do anything wrong. I'm a man. I'm married. I have two children. I do just about everything wrong. That's why God gave me a wife. And she doesn't do anything wrong. John Doan on meditation, number 18, now 17, wrote this. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were. As well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me. Because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. When I was a kid, I actually had to read that. You know what I mean? had to read Shakespeare and Beowulf, and we had to read the meditations, all the classic writings. And when I read that, I had no clue what that meant. And as I got older, it started to illuminate on me what that was really talking about. And you know what it was talking about? If you're happy, I can experience happiness. If you're sad, I can experience your sadness. If you're in love, I can experience your love. If you need help, I can help you. If I need help, I can reach out a hand. But you know what the last part of that is that I think is even more impactful than what the first part is saying? Don't wait around. If you want more love in the world, then be more loving. If you want more compassion in the world, be more compassionate. If you want more empathy in the world, reach out your hand and be empathetic. If you want more fellowship, come alongside your friend, your brother, and show them that you are willing to help with the life that you lead. But at the end of the day, don't wait for somebody else. Don't ever wonder for who that bell is tolling because that bell is tolling for you. That bell wants you to stand up. That bell wants you to move forward. That bell needs you to be the man, to be the father, to be the son that you were meant to be, that God intended you to be. Cicero was an orator in Rome in 137 A.D. 
Rome was the most conquering force on the planet at that time, conquered two-thirds of the known world. And Cicero, one of their statesmen and orators, said this, we are obliged to respect, defend, and maintain the common bonds of union and fellowship that exist among all members of the human race. He didn't put that in a manner that it might be a good idea. He said we are obliged, it is a responsibility of all of us to maintain that. I don't care how low a person gets. I don't care if it's that bum on the side of the road. I don't care if it's a guy hanging out in front of the Burger King. I don't care if it's the guy that you wouldn't normally talk to. Every man, every woman deserves your respect. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to respect you back. But it's your obligation as a part of mankind and as an individual that wants to live in sacrifice, empathy, love, and fellowship to respect everyone that you come in contact with. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, does it? Because I know many times in my own family, I love everyone in my family, but there's times that I don't like any one of them. But that's human nature. It doesn't say that we have to like each other. It says we have to love one another. It doesn't say that I have to take advantage of you. It says that I have to respect you. And that's something I hope we can all pass along to one another. A life of intent and focus, that is the life that I want to lead. And there's a couple quotes that I want to put in here for you. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. That comes from Senjatso, the 14th Dalai Lama. The world and humanity cannot survive without love and compassion. It is what we make of what we have, not what we are given, that separates one person from another. You know something, Matt Lovelady gives me a quote all the time. I love hearing him say this. And he's actually quoting this and doesn't know it. And what he says is, no man is born into this world with a sign on his chest that says, I will be a failure. And no man's born into this world with a sign on his chest that says, I will be a success. It's what we make of what we are given, the moments that we can experience contentment in the life that we are given. All too often, the grass is greener on the other side, isn't it? All too often, we look to the right or look to the left like Dave Jennings said last night during the branch manager's meeting. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. It's no better there. It's better straight in front of you. It's better leading the life that you were meant to lead and putting up with the hardships and fighting and going tooth and nail and going direct and fighting for something that matters. Making your life a light of intent and purpose. Making your life a legacy. Do you know what I want? I want my great, 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 great grandchildren to know who I was. I want them to know that I was a part of something great. I want them to know that my life had impact. I want them to know that my life changed other lives. At the end of the day, I don't care about the money. I care about the people that I've helped to make successful. I care about the people that came alongside me and mentored me. I care about the people that showed me patience and empathy and love and consideration. People that displayed honor and valor and courage. That is what will matter to me at the end of the day. All men should strive to learn before they die what they are running from and to and why. So many of us don't even have an idea of what motivates us. We should take the time to figure out who we are 
Because until we know who we are and what motivates us, we don't even stand a chance of knowing who somebody else is and what motivates them. We don't even stand a chance of wanting to know who they are or even a possibility of gleaning some degree of understanding of what goes 